called Unstuck, and uh, about being, how to get unstuck. And uh, I shared with you a little bit of a testimony about a time in my life that I was really stuck. I was very uh, tired already from some of the things in ministry I was involved with and some of the challenges we were dealing with. And our daughter was injured uh, in a bad bike accident and uh, ended up in the hospital. I talked a little bit about how that I sat at the end of her bed for several days and uh, didn't eat, spent time with the Lord, waiting on God. I was actually angry with God. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if anybody's ever been upset at the Lord and uh, just why, why is this happening to me? Why is this not working out the way that I thought it should? Why is this going on in my life? And uh, I was really struggling. I mean, I was just in a bad place for me personally. And, you know, it was like uh, Sharon and I, we would, we would talk a little bit about during that time the things people would say to us and you know, when you're really struggling, it's even things people say to you don't make a difference. It really doesn't. It's it more, you're nice, and we were always nice to people, but they would say, just trust God. And uh, I didn't want to trust God. I wanted him to fix my problem. Now, has anybody been there close to anything like that before? And I mean, I was in a bad, I was just in a rough spot for me personally. But as I I won't go into all the detail of that, but, but just as I waited on the Lord and, and Sharon waited on the Lord, God began to speak to me and had me do a study about all the people that their lives basically fell apart and how they responded to that, how that God led them through that. And uh, it, I'll tell you, it changed my life. I wrote a book about it called What to Do When you're, the Dam Breaks and Your Boat Won't Float. And uh, it, 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 the underlying theme of it is help I'm in a crisis and uh, if you don't have not read that book or you want that book it is on Amazon I'm not selling books here today but just letting you know about it that it is available and um, you know it, it just goes through and I'll, I'll probably preach this within the next couple of weeks um, just share some of those thoughts from that with you but I really feel like a lot of folks are stuck right now they're stuck they're not real sure about uh, where to go, what to do. Let me just, let me throw, before I get into my message today, a couple of thoughts to you. Exaggeration, exaggeration, exaggeration is of the devil. It is a principle of satanic kingdom, exaggeration. Exaggeration. When anything is going on, the enemy will try to exaggerate it. To levels to create fear, to get you into a place. And it depends how much the enemy works on exaggeration in your life of how quick, how, how much you're resisting the exaggeration. There is a lot of exaggerating going on in our world right now. You can't, you can't believe anything you're reading anymore because you don't know if it's true or not. You got one person saying, well, they said this, and another person saying they said this, and and so exaggeration, things are being taken. I mean, I've had situations where uh, it was funny. Several years ago, someone came up to me and said, did you know so-and-so's leaving the church? I said, they're leaving the church? They haven't said anything about it. They go, no, they told, they told me they're leaving the church. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll check into it. So I called them up and I said, are you guys leaving the church? They said, no. But see, the enemy will use stuff that somebody said to exaggerate it, 
Have you ever known anybody that's an exaggerator? What are they trying to do? Get, they don't believe you will listen to the truth, so they will exaggerate the truth to their advantage. Yep, they're trying to one-up you. So that's a work of the, that's, a, that's satanic. That is not God, that's deception. Exaggeration is deception. The media exaggerates everything, right? You know, I, I was watching, I just decided, I think it was maybe Saturday night, I thought, well, I wanted to see kind of what the weather report was. And I spent 15 minutes listening to an exaggerated media report about this and that, and this is happening, this is happening, and that's happening, and this is going on, and this is bad, and this is not going to work out good, and so-and-so died, and this one's dying, and more people are dying, and on and on, and it's all blown up, and what's it trying to do? It's, it's create, I'll tell you what it does for, it makes people afraid. You as believers, now I'm not talking about everybody in the world, I'm just talking about you as a Christian believer, you have advantages that people that don't have God do have, you don't have. And one of those advantages is you have the Holy Spirit. And you have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have a loving relationship with the Father. And so here's the thing, and, and I talk about those last week, about how that's the triple threat. You know, in basketball, we teach the triple threat, which Morgan did an awesome job. I was so proud of her last week. And, um, and uh, uh, the triple threat in basketball is you get into a good position, a good that you're not on balance, and then you have three things that you can do. You can pass, you can shoot, or you can dribble. Those are the th you have a triple threat against all the things that are going on around you. And that triple threat is found in the book of Corinthians. And so I want you to turn there with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. And I want you to go to chapter, uh, I want you to go to chapter 13, if you would. I think it's 13. Yep, and verse 14. And this is what the triple threat is. Here, you can write these down if you're keeping notes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God or the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now, look, when all of this is being written, this is being written in very adverse times. These are difficult. Uh, if you haven't got our newsletter, received our, my, my newsletter yet, I talk about, look, I mean, Sometimes we think we're the only ones that have ever gone through any difficulty. But Paul, in his closing thoughts to the church, said, look, guys, be strong in the Lord. He said, be a good soldier. Things are going to be perilous in the last days. The word perilous in the Greek means stressful. Things are going to be stressful. People will be lovers. I mean, you can just read. It's a litany of what life is like today. Lovers of themselves and rude to their parents and on and on and on. All the different things that are written there. And how that all those things that are talked about, that those are all part of the last days. And, will, and have been a part of the last days. See, it's hard for us to conceive of this, but Paul was living in the last days. Abraham Lincoln lived in the last days. Every day that ticks off is a last day. You don't get that day back. You and I are living in the last days. And the Bible even says that, look, 
you know, and I've heard, I've heard preachers preach about this. In the end, it'll be gross darkness will cover the land. Yeah, but then it says, but let your light. It's not go hide in a cave with a shotgun and your food. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that you are a witness of the glory and the grace of God working in your life because we have the triple threat of God. We have the love of the Father. We can respond to life because we know that no matter what, we are loved by the Father. The enemy works overtime to make you think you're not really loved. That God, you know, somehow, you know, is mad at you or God's doing this. That was, you read Job, man. Job, when he was all done and it was all said, we're just reading through that in our daily Bible reading. I mean, Job is like, why me? Why is this? All of us have talked like Job before. And it shows when we don't understand the love of God, our insecurities begin to manifest in our life and our relationship. And it's hard to be in faith when we're not in love. Because faith works by love, according to Galatians 5, 6. Faith works by love. So let me read it backwards to you. Ain't no love, ain't no faith. Might be hope, but if you don't know you're in a place of loving relationship with the Father, that He deeply loves you and cares about you, that was the whole thing, Jesus, that the manifestations of the Father, every time He showed up over Jesus in, in the transfiguration and then at His baptism, the, the, His line out loud to everyone that could hear, this is my loved Son. Every time God shows up in our life, the first, he's not going, you ding-dong, you goofball. The first line of the father to his children is, my loved son or daughter. My loved son or daughter. Because the father deeply, how much more can the father love us than that he sent his only begotten son to die for us? When we didn't deserve it, when we deserve nothing. What great love that God has bestowed upon us that while we were yet sinners, Romans says, that Christ died for us. So the power of all of this is based in the Father's love, the, the love that God has for you and I. God isn't showing up in our life and saying, you're worthless and I don't want you and you failed me again, I'm disappointed in you. I, the, the, he may deal with all those things in our life, but here's how he does it. He does it from a place of love, not from a place that he's trying to get us to earn his love. That's good preaching, Pastor. So when he talks here, he talks about the triple threat. We talked last week about the love of God. You can take more time and uh, listen to our podcast over that. I want to talk to you today about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of that grace, the power of that grace. Um, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew real quick with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at several passages here today. Matthew 11 and verse 28. Now, Jesus said to, um, to the people... Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, one translation of this says it like this, and I love the way this, this plays out. Are you tired? You know, I hear people say that. Oh, I'm so tired. Are you worn out? I'm worn out. Are you burned out? Oh. In fact, it says here, are you tired? You worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that verse. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The unforced rhythms of God's grace is to be at work in our lives. And so let's talk about what that means and why that's a threat. Why that's a threat in our lives. Why that works on our behalf to help us. And we talk about the love of the Father. Now we know His position how does the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ work in our lives to help us that, we can, that when the enemy has come in like a flood, that the Spirit of the Lord can lift up that standard against that enemy? Griffith Thomas said this about grace. Grace means more, far more than we can put into words because it means nothing less than the infinite character of God himself. It includes mercy for the undeserving, and unmerciful help for the helpless and hopeless, redemption for the renegade and repulsive, love for the unloving and unlovely, kindness for the unkind and unthankful, and all this in full measure and overflowing abundance because of nothing in the object and because of everything in the giver, God himself. Wow. That it's, grace is all based off of God, not based off of you. You know, Martin Luther, when, uh, when Martin Luther was serving in the church and he lived under such, he, he never could feel right, no matter how hard he worked in the church. He was a priest. He could, no matter what he would do, he kept feeling like there was no way that, the, that God would accept him. That he was trying to earn his way and he just... It was empty. You know, you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into God's good grace. People will say that. you got to earn your way into God's good graces. No, you don't. Because God gives us grace freely. He gives his grace for you and I freely. And so Luther, he was struggling so much, and he was in the Wittenberg Tower, and there was a terrible lightning storm going on outside. And I mean, and, and, you know, lightning can bring you closer to God real quick. How many of you have ever found that to be true? I mean, it gets your attention, that's for sure. And he's in that tower, and he feels like that the whole world could cave in on top of him. And, and he, he cries out. I mean, he really, in a moment of desperation, he cries out to God, the Father. He calls out to heaven and says, you know, save me. And, and he hears back the words, only by grace. Only by grace. And at that moment, he realized the revelation came to him that we are saved by faith in his grace. We are not saved by our works. We're not saved by our works. Now, in no way was he saying that you don't need works. Because if grace is doing its work, then you're working. If grace is doing its work in your life, then you're working. 
There are things that you are doing. You're drawing closer to him. You're walking closer uh, with him. Richard Rohr made this statement. He said, only a personal experience of unconditional, unearned, and infinite love and forgiveness can move you from the normal worldview of scarcity to the divine world of infinite abundance. That's when the doors of mercy blow wide open, and that's when you begin to understand the scale-breaking nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. I saw this. Uh, this is so powerful about... Um, this was spoken um, uh, in, uh, by uh, Bonhoeffer. You know, uh, Bonhoeffer was a, a, a German. He was put into a, a Nazi prison camp. He ended up dying there. But while he was there, he would, write, he would write thoughts. He was a theologian, and he would write thoughts about God and God's grace and how God is working and how God was working through him. And, and he was in terrible suffering. And actually, because if they would have found his notes, they would have, they would have burned his notes and killed him. So what he did is he hid them in tin cans and buried them out into the out in the yard of the prison camp that he was in, and uh, they actually pulled those out later after he was dead and the camps were set free. And uh, his letters today are so powerful, uh, but he talks about one of the big things Bonhoeffer struggled with was people talking about grace in a way that there was no response. See, grace makes us respond. We've been shown great love, so we should show great love. If it's really grace at work, then grace is not only affecting us, it's affecting all those who are around us. I'll give you a great example of this, and it's, it's right in your Bible. I mean, it's, a, it's such a powerful thing, and we kind of miss it because we, we think more about the forgiveness aspect of it. But remember the story uh, that Jesus told the parable about the, the, the man that owed a great debt. He, was, he owed this huge debt, and I mean... When he was, he, there were, he cried, he, it was huge, it was a big debt, and he, there was no way he could pay it, and he said, please have mercy on me and, 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 you for, and help me, I, I can't pay this debt. And so the master forgave the debt. The guy turns around, and what does he do? Runs into somebody who owes him a little bit of money. Not a lot, a little bit, and says, pay me what you owe me. And the, 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 the man says, I'm broke, I have no money, I can't pay you back. And he throws that man into prison and says, you're going to prison until you pay me back. Now, the story is, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, but, but let's not lose this here. What he's really talking about for you and I is, is that if we've been shown a lot of mercy in our lives, then bless God, we ought to be showing everybody around us a lot of mercy as well. This is the great failure in the church is that we who have been shown so much mercy have been really good at judging everybody else. Can I get a better amen? Yeah, man, we can point out what's wrong with everybody. And I mean, we're not to be silent in any way, but we're not offering. Look, God didn't offer us some kind of a cheap grace and it cost him everything for the grace that he gave to us. What is our response to that grace? Well, Bonhoeffer talks about it. He says, look, what we have to do, what we have to respond to is, is that grace in our lives by giving that grace and that mercy to those who are around us. If we've been shown much grace, we should give that much more grace. I want you to go with me to John 
the book of John, and uh, chapter 1. And uh, I wanted to read this to you because this was Bonhoeffer's th thoughts on this particular verse on the cost of discipleship. He said, cheap grace means grace sold on the market like a cheap jack's wares. Cheap grace means grace is a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth. The love of God taught as the Christian conception of God. The world finds a cheap covering for its sin. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sins. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. This is what we mean by cheap grace, the grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Now, what he's trying to say here for you and I, and uh, I hope you didn't get lost in some of his rhetoric, but look, if, you're, if, if you want to receive God's grace, there's a requirement on your part to surrender to God's grace, which means that you give up what you have so that you can take what he has. Remember, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, but as long as you're trying to carry your yoke and your burden, you're never going to be able to carry his yoke and his burden as well. When we come to Christ, we come broken in the sense of, just like Mona was sharing earlier, that, look, I don't want to be this. You know, when I came to Jesus, when I made that decision in my life, I didn't want anything to stand between me and my relationship with God. I mean, I had things that I had to break, you know, work on addictions I had to work through in my life that I had to overcome. But my motivation was to draw closer to God, not to get God to love me. I didn't want anything to stand in the way between me and my God. I wanted to make sure that I could get as close to the things of heaven as I absolutely could. Grace is given freely, but the response from the, the one that it's given to is not only to respond to that grace by life change, by making the decisions to grow closer to that grace. You know, people have talked about for years in the church, they said, well, don't preach grace too light because people will think then you're giving them a license to sin. People don't need a license to sin. They already sin. Right? They don't need a license. If a person is experiencing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, their response in their life is to not only to change in their lives towards that grace, but also to, and which gives them, the, the grace gives them the ability to do it, but it's also to show that grace all around them. Hallelujah. Now, God gave us the law. We struggle with the law because the law is rules. And when the law is broken, the Bible tells us it's, it's sin. You miss the mark. You, you sin. Law is a powerful thing. Because what law shows you and I, all laws show you and I, is we cannot do it on our own. I mean, you read the book of Deuteronomy 28. Just read that one. Read a, you know, Try to read some of the things in, that were wrote, written for the law. 
Let's just back off and go to the Ten Commandments. Let's just bust it all down. To t- no, let's take it to the New Testament and break it down to the two things that Jesus said that have to happen. All right, let's just. So we got from hundreds and hundreds of laws to ten laws to two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Two laws, Jesus said. On this hang all the law and the prophets. Now look, that's the law. When I don't love my neighbor, as I, if I love myself more than I love my neighbor, I broke the law. I mean, if that was all that it really took is that I just say, well, I love God. There's lots of people talk about loving God. Well, I love God. Well, I love people. Well, that's great. But see, in that, are you loving God the way God wants you to love him? Or are you loving God the way you want to love him? Are you loving people the way he wants you to love them? Or are you loving people the way you feel like loving them? Wow, Pastor, that's really, that's really deep. See, we break the law all the time, and that's where the law teaches us we need grace. Now, you go out here on 46 right now. Most of you, you drive home here after church. You know you're going to go down 46 one way or the other, at least for a little bit. Chances are, without even knowing it, you will violate the law. If you, look, if the law says 55, are you with me? Uh, 55. Now stay with me. If the law says 55 miles per hour, I want you to notice that on it it says speed limit. Yeah, no, it doesn't say that. That's how you're interpreting it. Speed limit, right? 55. Or if you go into Wheeler, it's 45. All right? Everybody with me? When did you bring, if you're going 55 miles an hour and you go 0.0001 miles faster than 55, are you a lawbreaker? You absolutely are a lawbreaker. Right? But in our, in our thinking in Michigan, Right? We have a thought that we will be shown grace as long as we don't go faster than nine miles over. Or five miles, depending on the, how great, merciful, and graceful the officer is. Right? So you, when, when people, I know people, I ride with people, and they'll say, I'll say, you know the limit there is uh, 55, and this is what they'll say, yeah, but they won't pick you up if you're going eight miles over. Are you still a lawbreaker? Absolutely you're a lawbreaker. And you're offering yourself a false sense of grace because you don't know, because it can change Per person, per officer, whether it's state patrol or sheriff or a local police department. I mean, they may be like, I mean, I've met people that said, you know, uh, if you go one mile over, they pulled me over. Then they'll say, yeah, they must have had a quota they had to meet that day, right? 
or if you're going five miles over. See, but what we're doing is we're fudging the idea of grace in our life. Look, we're lawbreakers. What we have to accept in our lives is that we are lawbreakers with God. We are. But God, who is rich in mercy, has shown us grace. I don't want to be known as a lawbreaker to my God. Amen. I have something in my vehicle. I'll, I'll, I'll testify to this. I have it. I don't have it up. I have what's called a radar detector. And that thing is only purpose. And I've told myself a hundred different stories to try to put that thing up. That thing's only purpose is to keep me from getting a ticket. If I don't break the law, I won't get a ticket. The law shows us that we just can't do it. But the grace says, all right, I'll come in and bear the penalty. So all the fines we owed for all the sins we've committed, Jesus bore for us. The penalty's paid for completely and absolutely. Now think of how powerful that is because, see, some of you here today, I know that the enemy is still bringing your past up to you. He's still reminding you. Remember when you said this to your sister? Remember when you said this to your mom and dad? Remember when you acted like this? Remember when you stole that? Remember when you did this? Remember when you, when you cut that person off this last week and then gave him the, you know, the nasty salute? I mean, all the different things that people do. You watched that movie you knew was wrong to watch, but you kept watching it. Or you looked that up on Facebook when you knew that was the wrong thing to do. See, that shows you... Don't look at that like, see, the enemy's using that against you. Because what he wants you to do, he's one step away from getting you to think the Father doesn't love you. One step. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has been given to you as a threat against the enemy that he has. Look, your sins have no power over your life except what you give to them. So, well, Pastor, I don't know, man. Don't be careful preaching that because people will, you know, think they can sin. I don't have to. You're going to sin anyways. Whether you want to or not. I've been known every once in a while to do something that I didn't want. Paul, look, and he was way better than any of us. Paul said, why? Sounds like my golf game. I say this all the time. Why? Do I do the things I don't want to do? It's my golf game. I'm like, why did I do that? I knew I shouldn't do that, and I did it anyways. Paul said, oh, oh, wicked man that I am. Oh, but thanks be to God. Amen. Who's rich in mercy, who's forgiven me of all my sins. Hallelujah. So we don't stay in that place of judgment. We stay in that place of grace. Now, I'll wrap this up. How does that affect you and your life, your balance in front of the enemy? It affects everything. The enemy cannot knock, your adversary cannot knock, cannot knock you off balance in your Christian faith as long as you're keeping yourself footed in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
all of us here, and we don't want to know all the stuff, but we could have people testify of how, I've seen it happen in churches, it's terrible, talk about what wicked sinners we were. Oh man, if I told you, there would be stuff you'd be like, well, I don't even know how you even got to be a preacher. I mean, why would God use, I mean, it's rich. Now, I know there's some of you that that's not your story. You've been pretty decent all your life. But me, man, I was bad. I was a pervert. I was bad. But the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though my sins were red as crimson, the Bible says, he has made them white as snow, white as wool. They're washed in the blood. Several years ago, I was going through a struggle, and just in my prayer time, I was really fighting through some depression. And uh, we don't get up in the pulpit and talk about all this till after the victory. And uh, one, because it's, it's not, it's, I'm here to build you up, not to tear you down. And so uh, I don't talk about my personal problems from the pulpit unless we've overcome them. That's just the way it is. And, uh, and I have plenty of them, okay? And uh, I was just fighting depression, and the enemy just kept beating on my head about this. Man, uh, you know, this. and so I went on a, what I call the apology tour. So I went to some of my family, and I started apologizing. I said, you know, I know I was really wicked. I was really bad, and and uh, I'm really sorry. And, I, and my brother, my youngest brother, and uh, he looked at me and he said, he said, Rick, he said, stop it. That's all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you need to quit bringing it up in your life. I, I don't have time to turn to this this morning, but there's a passage in Galatians that says this. If I build again the things which were once destroyed, I make myself a reprobate. What am I doing if I'm rebuilding stuff that God has forgiven in my life? Uh, because I was a pervert. I am not a pervert anymore. I was a drunkard. I'm not a drunkard anymore. I was a sinner, but now I am saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm not identifying my whole life with what I was. Am I, am I grateful that God brought me out of that? Man, you better believe I'm grateful for it. But I don't identify with that guy anymore. Uh, the old man is dead. The new man is alive. Can you say amen today? And see, that's, that is so powerful because you basically, when you make that decision in your life, you empower yourself that the enemy can no longer hold you back. He has no chains to bind you. He has, you, you realize he has no right. Well, I was, you know, I was a poor manager of money. So what? Because you were a poor manager of money doesn't mean that you have to be bound to poverty your whole life. Repent of it, get right with God, and look, as you do that and you cling to the Lord and grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, which Peter tells you to do, you'll break through that and enter into what God has for you. You might have been a hypochondriac that lived your whole life, just one ailment after another ailment after another ailment after another thing. You may have used every ailment you could as an excuse for why you, so you wouldn't have to do what you, want, what you were told to do. But here's the good news. When you come to Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not who you are. You are not a hypochondriac anymore. You're not sick. You're not a diseased person. You're not cursed. You're redeemed from the curse. And what you and I now identify with is the new life and the grace that God has given to us. We could never, ever, ever live up to all the rules that are in the Scripture. 
We strive to, but we couldn't live up to them. But the grace of Jesus Christ says you're forgiven. You're free. The power of it's broken. Hallelujah. It was about 1982, I think. I was praying in church. I've told this story many times here, but there are a lot of new folks here. 1982, I'm praying at the altar. I'm with a guy. I go down to pray with him at the altar. His name is Joe. Big, big guy. Real big guy. And he's crying. And I put my hand on him. And as soon as I put my hand on him, I was in the spirit. I mean, I'm telling you, it was so weird. I was in a different place. I was not there at the altar with him anymore. And I'd love to tell you that I was in the realms of glory, that I was in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love to tell you that I was in a place that was such incredible rapture, but I was not. Where I was was where one of the most horrible acts against my soul ever happened. It was in a young man's house where he molested me on multiple occasions. I was just an eight, to, eight or nine-year-old boy. And I'm in that room, and I'm so ashamed because I look next to me, and Jesus is standing here next to me. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want you here. I don't want you in this place. I, don't, this is, I hate this. I hate this about my life. This, I, Lord, I'm so ashamed. And the Lord looked over at me, and he said, Son, he said, Son, listen to me. This makes no difference to me about who you are to me. And bang, just like that, I was back at the altar. That night in the church, I got up. And for the first time in my life, I was able to talk about this horrible pain that I had. My parents didn't even know about it. They heard about it in church the first time. I hid it because it was so humiliating to me. It was part of my identity. It, was making, it, it hindered my relationship with God. I struggled, and the Lord said, it doesn't matter, Richard, to me. I'm here with you. I'm with you. This doesn't change a thing. I got up and told the church that night, and I can't tell you through the years how many people have come to me after church and said, Pastor, I was molested. This thing today that you shared with us has set me free. I never thought, I just was always like a, a broken part of their life that they couldn't move forward because of it. And there's a lot of it that's happened in our world to people. But as horrible as that was for me, the horrible things that have happened in, in my life to God, he says, doesn't make a difference. You're mine. You're forgiven. And I give you grace. How can I not Show grace and mercy to those who have been hurt and abused. How can we not show grace and love to the prostitute? You know, when she was a little girl, she wasn't thinking about being a prostitute. She was thinking about being married someday, thinking about having a family, but things happen. Nobody grows up wanting to be a bank robber. Now look, I'm, I'm not saying you should get away with crime. I'm just saying nobody starts out their life that way. Stuff happens. 
There are no bad boys and there are no bad girls, but life. But the good news is a church full of the love of the Father. The devil does not want you to hear this sermon today, I promise you. Because, see, when you go out of this place today, you're going to run across somebody that's ugly. I mean ugly, not ugly face, ugly, you know, in their soul. And you're going to show them love. Instead of running from them and going, my gosh, I don't want to get away from me, you're going to go to them and you're going to just be nice to them. And how you doing? How are things going? You'd be amazed how people's lives are impacted when we just reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ. And if we've been shown much love, we should give much love. For to whom much is given, much is required. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. I want you to bow your heads with me today. I'm going to ask this, just keep the camera on me if you would, uh, Greg, and uh, there in the back, Chad. Um, if you'd say today, Pastor, look, I'm, I, I really needed this today because I've really been beat up this, this year, this week, this month, just over my past and my identity. I've really, really struggled. And uh, if that's you I'm talking to, while your heads are bowed, I don't want anybody, you don't have to look up, just raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. All over the building. Anyone else today say that? Thank you in the back over here. Thank you. Look, it's just you before the Lord raising your hand. I'll see it. I'm going to pray for you here from the pulpit. Thank you. I feel that in the spirit. There are, there's hurt here. There's hurt. But God is the healer of hurt. Not just physical wounds, but soul hurt. Stuff that's just not done you right for so long. Is there anyone else that would lift their hand and say, that's me here today? Let me pray with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down once you've raised them. Now, Father, all over the building, Lord God, you see the hearts of people. Lord, hurting. Father, I, Father, I just ask you right now, to just put the balm of Gilead, the presence of Christ on those wounds in folks' lives, Lord God. Father, I ask you right now, in the name above every name, that your power and your ability, Lord God, would overwhelm their hearts and, Lord, you, they would even hear that thing in your life does not matter to me. Let it hinder you no more. Let it hinder you no more. Father, thank you. Mm. I feel your presence so strong, Lord God, for the hearts of people. Father, I thank you that you erase all shame that you erase all fear and insecurity by the power of your spirit as you come upon us right now. May we truly live our lives as those who are loved by the Father and living under the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we experience the rhythm of your grace, Lord God. The rhythm of your grace. 
Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Amen. I'm uh, going to pray for folks here in just a few minutes here at the altar with our prayer team. But uh, one th thing I wanted to mention to you, um, and you can just get in faith with me over this. I really think our ministry, one of the things that we're supposed to do is be a need-oriented evangelism. And that, what that means is find needs and fill them. And uh, one of the reasons we're doing the drive-in movie night is so that we can fill a need to reach people. I mean, it really is. It's not about showing movies because you can stay home and watch Remember the Titans or whatever. But it's a powerful way to get people together. And I'm, I'm a believer. When you get non-believers with believers, believers influence non-believers. We're the light of the world. Amen. And uh, so I'm wanting to try to keep this going as long as we can, you know, till the weather gets where we can't do it. Um, and maybe we'll find some different ways to do it. But our media ministry, because of the different things that we're trying to do, we've, we're incurring costs, but I felt like we needed to move forward with it because there's a huge gap. Theaters are not going to be open for a long time. They're just not. People like movies. They like to go to movies. They like to go... They just like to go, okay? And uh, so uh, it's cost us about, right now, I think the total cost with the screen and the projector was about $1,000 to do the whole thing uh, to pull that off. Plus our media ministry, we've got to make some updates in what we're doing because of the demands that are out there. I'm not happy with Facebook. I told you two weeks ago, they're por throwing porn stuff on our video stream right when we're putting it up. It's not right. You've seen, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you could be just watching our, me preaching or our worship team and right below, they're throwing up other videos for people to see that are lurid. They're just not right, okay? Take my word for it. Don't try to find out, okay? So we don't want to do that. We don't want to continue. I mean, I think it's a vehicle we use, but I don't think it should be our primary way of continuing to do that. And uh, so we're looking at other avenues that we can do that. All those are going to incur costs. We're probably looking at another thousand to be able to do that the right way. So I just want you to, I'm not going to receive an offering this morning, um, you know, uh, unless you feel compelled to do something, then go ahead and do it. But next week I am definitely going to do it. And uh, I want you just to have time to think about it, prepare yourself for it. But uh, I'm going to believe God. I want you to get in faith with me for, that we'll raise 2,000 next week. That will all go towards the media ministry, our projectors, our stuff we're trying to do. I think, how much did that um, FM transmitter cost? Four? Yeah. So, you know, we're right around in that ballpark. And uh, so, you know, we want to do it right. Amen? Amen? The church ought to do it right. So just you pray, you talk to the Lord, whatever he tells you to do, then you do that. Okay? Can we do that? And next week, we'll receive that after the service at the end. And uh, I know some of you are going to be gone uh, on, for Labor Day weekend. And if you are and you want to do something, of course, you can, do, you can uh, mail that in. Uh, I don't think there's a way online to do that, but you can mail that in uh, as well. Stand up with me, if you would.